Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of BMW iVentures Agile Precision Podcast. Every episode, we talk to one of the executives in our portfolio companies and other tech luminaries about the companies they're building with a strong focus on companies that are trying to make the world a better place. I'm your host, Greg Smithies, and today we're talking to Ryan Morris, who is the executive chairman of Software Motor Company. We invested in this company towards the end of last year, and we're extremely excited about the opportunity that they pose. It might sound like one of the more boring things out there, which is electric motors for air conditioning systems. But to us, this is one of the most impactful companies that's in our entire portfolio. So with that, thank you very much for joining us, Ryan. Maybe you can give us a short introduction on what it is that Software Motor Company does. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, it, uh, this is Ryan here. Appreciate uh, having me on. So yeah, SMC, just at a high level, I'm sure we'll find interesting ways to get deep into the technology, but we have reinvented the electric motor. So it's an architecture that people have sort of thought should be the next generation of motors for a long time, but it's called a switched reluctance motor architecture. So it's it's the simplest and therefore lowest cost in uh, motor to manufacture, uh, but it's also the most efficient. So it's kind of the first time that kind of Moore's law applies to an electric motor. So we say our mission is to replace all the motors in the world with an optimal motor system. So that's the kind of muscle of the engine converting electricity into motion plus the whole intelligence platform for it. Okay, so I think that that's a lot of very complicated words. Um, but when I boil it down to it and kind of go to your website, you know, you're selling motors that right now go into big commercial air conditioning systems. This seems about as boring as you could get. So, you know, frankly, why, why should we care? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a good question. I think um, I've always sort of avoided things that have obvious sex appeal because there always seems to be too much competition. And I have an expression a friend of mine uh, came up with that figure out in life what free markets will do and then do something else. You know, I, I always felt like I needed to be in something that would really have an impact. And, you know, frankly, if there's 10 other guys that are going to just solve the problem that you're trying to solve and, you know, the difference that you're going to make in the world might not be as big. And so when we you know, looked at the space with electric motors and saw all just 100-year-old companies that really haven't changed very much, there's uh, fortunately a pretty good Hollywood movie right now called The Current Wars that's uh, all about the sort of Edison, Tesla days over a century ago that's, that's dramatized it and also popularized it pretty well. But it's pretty mind-blowing that something like a trillion dollars a year of electricity is consumed, something like 400 billion of that every year just from motors turning fans. In our civilization and like 98 percent of those motors are based on the same architecture nikola tesla came up with 130 years ago and so there, there's really been very little functional innovation in that space there's been lots of incremental stuff but there's been nothing that's really sort of digitized it the same way that whole other areas of the of the economy have been totally transformed by modern digital information processing technology so that that's really what we capture yeah, so so to me, the reason why we got so excited about this is is electric motors are kind of the behind the scenes thing that actually run most of our modern society, and just not a lot of people think about it, and therefore they haven't had a lot of focus from um, sort of bleeding edge technology companies. But they are fundamental to our way of life, and as you mentioned, uh, eating up a whole whack of the world's electricity. But maybe before we jump further into the, the technology itself, I think you've got a really interesting background. And I know a lot of our listeners are interested in kind of that, that entrepreneurial story. So how is it that you, you came to be here at SMC? Um, because it's, it's been a, a not necessarily linear path. Yeah, definitely not a traditional path. So I, 
uh, I always start by saying I, I learned about nuclear fusion when I was 11. Uh, so it's sort of to a young idealistic kid that obviously had a lot of time not being very cool, hanging out with friends, uh, had a lot of time to read physics books and figure out how he was going to save the world. And this idea that you could use technology to have such a huge impact as ending pollution and ending waste was really inspiring early on. And, um, you know, fortunately, I had a practical father who steered me towards doing that in a practical business sense, not just being like a you know, mad scientist, which is the movies. And, um, you know, so my, my I'm an engineer, so I was a software engineer, had a software company after college. And then I actually spent a long time always being very focused, not in kind of the traditional Silicon Valley, let's come in disrupting things, starting everything from scratch, but always having kind of this deep respect for for established industries and the idea that, you know, I, I would be one of the few people in some kind of established industry that could see what the future looks like and not sort of be shackled to how things have always been done, but sort of blending those views of, you know, respecting the past and then embracing the new, the new future of technology. Um, so I've actually, I actually ran three public companies through that, that we went in and transformed. The most recent one uh, before SMC was in the electric vehicle drivetrain space. It was, it's actually a 50 year old company that made parts for forklift trucks, which were actually the original electric vehicles. And we transformed to getting into on-road uh, electric vehicles uh, and sold that company to Borg Warner a few years ago. And it was there that I, I learned about this uh, switch reluctance motor uh, architecture. And in like two minutes of learning about it, it was it was pretty obvious to me as a software engineer that this is the first time that um, the, the closest thing in computer science to religion is is this idea of Moore's law. So you have a very strong faith that the exponential price of computing power will just keep marching forward. And that explains, uh, you know, why some things are possible. Uh, you know, like, why did you have the iPhone in 2007 and not in 1994 when you had General Magic come out with all the exact same ideas, right? So that, that ability to kind of predict the future by understanding that cost curve is very important. Incidentally, in the electric vehicle case, like obviously Tesla, you know, you're quite familiar with, um, the motor was never the bottleneck. The bottleneck was always the batteries. And the, the batteries followed that same smooth exponential price performance curve, which is obviously why they're, you know, now in a lot of countries even cheaper than gas cars. But anyway, so that, that was my kind of uh, history before. So always sort of old industries where you have a lot of resistance to change. Yeah. So, uh, so again, as, as you mentioned, this is an old industry. Um, no one has really looked at it properly with a good fine tooth comb of, a, of applying new technologies to it in such a long time. Um, and you started to allude to this uh, a couple of seconds ago, but, but what were the things that sort of make it possible to uh, build switch reluctance motors this, this efficiently now, uh, which were impossible just a couple of years ago? Yeah, so there's a few layers to this. So the motor itself is actually incredibly simple. It's just made of iron and copper. There's actually no magnets in it. So you know, China controls like 95% of the global rare earth magnet supply, which uh, puts puts a lot of supply chains in a fragile state. So the motor itself is very simple, but all of the difficult parts are in the electronics that drive the current into it and then the software control of those electronics. And number one, you need digital signal processors, and that's kind of the pure Moore's law form, uh, where you need to actually process many calculations to adjust the current based on the speed, position, and torque of the motor. And then you need another component that's called power electronics. So there's a different type of semiconductor that actually handles high voltage, high current amounts. And that's the kind of heart in electric vehicles or wind turbines. Those two markets have really driven huge improvements in that. 
And there's actually a third angle, which is related to what we call software wrapped in metal. And this is simulation-based design. So you need a huge amount of computing power to simulate very subtle changes in what ultimately is expressed as a very simple hunk of iron, a hunk of steel, but very slight changes to it actually cause pretty big differences in the output. So you need a very advanced simulation-based design. Actually, just today, we announced a big partnership that we're doing with Ansys. It's a $20 billion software company that is the leader in this space. Uh, And that's a real game changer. So the ability to really kind of have a software-first architecture all the way through from the metal through the software running the electronics is what's made this possible today and wasn't before. Yeah, but but getting to today where, you know, you're successful, you're selling to a bunch of uh, sort of household names uh, and rolling out uh, across the country and uh, I think across the globe now, uh, I think we, we in the sort of Silicon Valley and startup world tend to forget like lots of companies are, uh, you know, 5, 10, 20 year overnight success. I'm sure there was a, a lot of work that actually went into getting here. So maybe run us through some of the, the biggest hurdles that you and the team had to overcome in getting here. Sure. Yeah. And actually, just at a personal level, you have know, my background. So it's funny. I was a, a, in high school, a national champion and rower, and then I switched to road cycling. And the thing those things have in common were, number one, you have to have a pretty high pain threshold. And number two, it's something that you can just see yourself sort of incrementally making progress towards a goal. Uh, like, you know, you have discipline, you put in the hours, you, you work and you just get a little bit stronger every every day, every week, and then eventually, you know, five years later, you're a national world champion or something like that. The saying about cycling is that it never gets easier; you just get faster. Yeah, I love that. It's Greg Greg Lamont quote um, to some uh, young young cyclist asking him how he goes up the hill so easily. He's like, "No, it never gets easier." But I actually, I've always been really really fascinated and focused on those kinds of problems because. Number one, it's kind of analogous to like climbing a mountain because it's very clear that if you solve the problem, it's worth doing. And number two, there's no shortcuts. So from a competitive perspective and building a sustainable business, you know, you just know that anybody who wants to catch you is going to have to go through all the same pain that you went through. So there's something reassuring about that. Um, so the, the history is quite long here. I mean, there's been a number of key milestones that I can focus on. So the original concept for Switch Reluctance Motor actually uh, was patented, I think, 180 years ago. So I think right after flying cars and Hyperloop. But unfortunately, those are also too early. Uh, the inventors didn't quite have the components to make those things back then. But yeah, so the, the idea has been around for a long time. But the original patent that served as kind of the foundation for SMC actually was uh, by our chief motor designer, Piyush Desai. Um, and he was part of another company that just frankly was way too early. He couldn't again, get these components for that I mentioned earlier for the predecessor um, or the enabling components. And so the idea there was to take this concept of switch reluctance and in literally the, at that point, 170 years since the original concept, nobody had ever proposed uh, basically inverting the geometry. So we have a high rotor pole switch reluctance. And it's just one of these things that like, it's sort of like a curse of knowledge, like you would never question this if you sort of knew a little bit about it, but then if you come in with a sort of fresh perspective, it's like, hey, why don't we try doing this totally different architecture? And it turns out that's like two times the power density. So it's much harder to control. But one of the things that had plagued switch reluctance motors in the past had been they were lower power density. So that solved that problem. That was over over a decade ago. When we acquired uh, that previous company as part of our founding six and a half years ago, what we found is we actually could build the motor using pretty standard motor manufacturing techniques in like six months. 
Uh, so that, that really wasn't the hard part. The hard part, it turned out, took three years to get the software to work. So using all of the world expert academic control theory that they were teaching courses on in this stuff, in the real world, uh, it was about 20% efficient. So it actually took three years and a lot of much more lateral thinking type, type folks uh, that didn't have the level of domain expertise to come up with what ultimately was this uh, really remarkable set of control algorithms. And, you know, it's it just reminds me of like those physics textbook toy problem examples where like, you know, how fast does the ball roll down the hill? And like, there's no air resistance, there's no inertial, you know, mass or rotation or something like that. So there's a bunch of things that it, when you go from toy example to real world, the real world is, is a hell of a lot messier. And you need to have more robust methods to incorporate that. And that's actually, you You also spoke a little bit about the um, your ability to simulate the system and working with ANSYS to do this, because you you frankly cannot do this or couldn't do this even just a couple of years ago, because the compute power and the software to simulate these highly mechanically unstable, complicated systems just didn't, didn't exist, or if it did exist, was far too expensive for a startup to be actually using them, right? Well, what's really cool about simulation uh, and this is to a lesser degree true on the power electronics, but with simulation, it's really actually a matter of degree. So you could have done simulation 10, 15 years ago, but the level of kind of granularity and precision to get to an optimal solution was much lower. And why that's really cool is that we're nowhere near the finish line for that yet. I described there's like this freight train of Moore's law that is just this sort of unstoppable feature of, of capitalism and human development and engineering that you know, basically, we don't forget information, you know, we just keep building on it. And uh, as a society, and so once you can take a problem and sort of latch it on to that freight train of Moore's law, you have a very reliable source of continuous improvement. And what's really cool is that on the simulation side, you know, the price of cloud computing, compute cycles just keeps falling exponentially. That basically enables us for the same dollar cost to keep improving our optimization of our motors over time with no sort of incremental extra effort just from like plugging into that trend. And that's not the case for traditional motor designs because they sort of don't have that nonlinear uh, architecture. Yeah, so so changing tack a little bit here, um, you are technically, because of the efficiency gains here, viewed by a lot of people as a sustainability company. And what I would typically see in the history of sustainability companies and, and energy-focused companies and efficiency-focused companies is they've typically required a lot of uh, sort of political backing and things like tax incentives in order to make them work. So just thinking about the broader sort of macro environment sentiment and policy changes that might be needed to support businesses like yours, where can we be doing things that are better? And what are some of those sorts of things that SMC would like to see happen? Yeah. So on this topic, I think just generally, like I've followed the whole sustainability movement, I guess, for at least 20 something years. And like I said, I you know, was really enthusiastic about alternative energy sources 20, 25 years ago even. And the challenge until very recently, and this is true in electric vehicles as well on the demand side. So there's a demand side and a supply side issue for this of energy generation and consumption. And up until very recently, everything that was kind of clean energy or sustainability had the fatal flaw in a free market capitalist society that it was more expensive. So it was like, great, if you could get the government to double electricity prices, you could maybe eventually solve this problem. And what's really encouraging is that as you've seen information technology kind of spill over into more and more of these categories, whether it's lithium-ion batteries or simulation-based design or LED lighting, similarly semiconductors and solar panels, 
these things now have followed these exponential cost curves where the last kind of few years, you're seeing more and more things that are just, they frankly stand on their own merits. And obviously we're an example of that too. I mean, it's, we're, we're not twice as expensive and we save energy. It's 30% less expensive to make and it saves energy. So like, why would you not do this? It's just sort of a, like better and cheaper. And so capitalism really drives that. I think there's certainly some areas that policies really help. And the areas where this is the biggest problem in energy in general, I would say, is it's, it's called an agency cost. So the people who make the purchasing decisions up front to build a building are very different than the ones who pay the electricity bill on an ongoing basis. So this is where things like building standards, building codes, like at a very basic level, um, if there was no liability for the guy who built a shoddy staircase and somebody fell through the staircase, <laughs> you know, that, that would not be a sustainable environment. Like in even ancient Rome, they had the architect have to stand under the arch that he just built, you know, as a way to solve for this, this problem. Um, so unfortunately, we don't do this in, in a you know, universal way. Uh, I do understand New York City actually just started doing this. They're rating their buildings environmental footprint as like a public kind of like a health code type thing, which I think is a really cool, innovative way to do it that raises awareness. So just at a minimum, I think you do need the government to step in and increase transparency. So that's a level playing field. That's not sort of, you know, I, I think some of the policies around subsidization from taxpayers are quite controversial, but at a minimum, you know, things that I think are just totally not controversial or increasing transparency around, you know, energy consumption. Cause there's a lot of things that it's just, it's just a waste from negligence rather than, um, you know, an economic deliberate choice. The way I think about this is if you are using less stuff, meaning less materials to go into your product or less electricity over time, the total cost of ownership on your product by definition should be cheaper than the competing poorly designed version or the fossil fuel version or whatever it might happen to be um, by definition. But you need to use policies in order to align that so that uh, consumers and whoever's making that purchasing decision are actually thinking in terms of total cost of ownership as opposed to upfront cost. I think at the, at the beginning of this, you, you spoke about just how many different uses of uh, electric motors there are. And right now you're starting in, in air conditioning um, but as you look into that crystal ball, where is SMC going and uh, what does the future hold for you? Yeah, so HVAC, I, I kind of think of this as like kind of a T-shape from a strategic perspective. So the, the top of the T is sort of like HVAC is this incredibly broad, diverse market. You know, there's uh, many different kinds of systems that use many different kinds of motors. They're virtually every building in the world. So it's you know incredible amount of diversity. We're really focused today on packaged rooftop units. They're the kind of systems you find in kind of multi-site retail or office buildings. Um, we're we're branching out into other more complex types of systems, you know, like chiller systems and getting into the pumps that are also part of those HVAC systems for the, um, the heating and cooling. Um, so that's kind of the, the broad base side that we're expanding our product line. And then sort of the vertical side of the T is we really uh, we really like the idea of going in and kind of solving a problem all the way through. And that's where this optimal system concept in our mission comes from. And it's not just about replacing a motor because ultimately a motor is just a, is a component of a system, but being able to infuse intelligent controls so you can optimize the energy use and also the maintenance is the other key bucket for these, all these systems. Uh, and we actually started with that uh, first in agriculture. So we have a, a big customer strategic partner called VES that uh, 
is the leader in ventilating dairy barns. So it's kind of a random sounding niche, but you've got to keep the cows happy. The cows are very happy. You know, I think from a PR perspective, better to start with cows than farming, I don't know, bats or something today. But um, yeah, so it's it's been an interesting market where they're really the state of the art was, I don't know, like 1980 or something like that. And so we could come in and really just show what was possible when you brought in all of these intelligent kind of IoT cloud-based controls, uh, optimization, analytics, this kind of stuff. So it's given us a proven ground to build our core uh, technology on that other dimension. And at the same time, we're beginning to go after the smart building market. So something that's also pretty unbelievable is like 90% of buildings uh, and most of those are under 200,000 square feet. So anything other than like kind of big skyscrapers or industrial facilities, they have no building control system. They just have like a you know light switch and a thermostat on the wall. Uh, the, the smart home market is 10 years ahead of the commercial market in terms of products. And so that's a, a huge opportunity. And what's exciting for us is that we can really bundle this all as a package. So uh, it's the same part of the same mission. So whether you're going to use less to drive the same outcome or you're going to just you know run the system more intelligently based on the occupancy, for example, um, these are all part of the same mission. Uh, and so we've been building kind of the whole stack for that. So we're we're really trying to be a platform that helps um, both other operators of facilities and then also other manufacturers have that level of uh, intelligence into their systems. I think that's incredible insight. And you obviously have a very interesting path ahead. So now, Ryan, I, I want to thank you for coming on and spending all of this time with us. Uh, you know, from from my side, this is an incredibly exciting company. It was one where I, I started out incredibly skeptical and not thinking that this was a very interesting space and then very rapidly changed my mind, uh, you know, went full 180 degrees on it because the opportunity is so massive. Electric motors are ubiquitous. They do run you know, most of our modern lives in some way, shape or form. And just a huge multi-hundred billion dollar opportunity to, to uh, drive cost savings for customers and help to save the planet at the same time. So uh, we are extremely excited about it. And uh, Ryan, where can uh, the listeners go to find out more about Software Motor Company? Yeah, so we have a website, softwaremotor.com. And um, there's a learning center and then there's a, a culture page uh, on the link on the front. And we actually have a podcast. So you're really interested and want to learn more about the tech and more about kind of how we're doing things uh, we have some special guests on our podcast sometimes too and it's uh you know we're pretty transparent about how we've been building things as a culture and as an organization you know i think a lot of people in technology miss sometimes the human element to things but um, i learned from some of the best uh the best counter examples and some of my previous uh, turnaround experiences so yeah we're we're working pretty hard to get that right from the beginning here if you're going to scale you want to start with some good dna yeah, I, I would completely agree and actually give that recommendation to our listeners. If you're interested in how you build company culture um, and how you can apply company culture to um, industries that typically aren't industries that think a lot about company culture and how do you drive very efficient uh, uh, engineering teams, uh, then the Software Motor Company podcast is a, is a strong listen. So thank you again for joining us, Ryan. Uh, thanks to our listeners for, for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next time with another industry luminary and a portfolio company uh, CEO. And uh, finally, if you'd like to find out more about BMW iVentures, who we're investing in, and uh, our portfolio companies, you can always check out bmwiventures.com. And with that, we would like you to uh, stay safe. And Ryan, uh, keep changing the world. And we're excited to hear more about Software Motor Company in the near future. Thanks.